Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting edge strategies and acquiring leads and sales for your business through paid and unpaid traffic. And today we're going to be going into the world of AI. Qasem Aslam. What does AI Dude, even stand for? Everybody's going to be so sick of AI. I'm even sick of those letters. Like I want to extract those from my linguistic architecture for the next 60 days. Just purge my mind. It's so, so annoying. It's so overused right now. Everybody's talking about it. We did do a show on it. We went over to our customer acquisition show with Tom and a couple of guys from the Tier 11 team. Tra swapped out podcasts for our sister podcast over there, which was cool. We're going to probably talk a little bit higher level here on the topic of the day. Is it just us in digital marketing that are talking about all of this or is everybody talking about it? It seems like way more than just us, but us especially, it's nauseatingly overdone right now, it seems like. We're always going to be first, right? So I think the marketers tend to be a little bit better at adopting new technologies, but I'm in a group, a mastermind called Front Row Dads, and I bring them up because they're completely independent of all things marketers. It's probably my best test for what's going on in the real world with real people. <laughs> And, real people. Yeah, real people with souls. <laughs> right. And uh, dude, the front row dads, like the chat thread we have inside of Telegram is lighting up with AI conversations. There's my buddy Scott's in the real estate space and he's using it to send whatever. And like it, people in industries that generally speaking are decades behind. Yeah. For whatever reason, this thing like broke the mold as far as early adoption is concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The uptick is just pretty astounding. And oh, it's, uh, so much yeah. so that if you even go over to ChatGPT or any of these, oftentimes it's actually, you can't even get in, which is right. rope unto itself, which makes people want it probably even more. But uh, as of right now, a lot of the stuff is free, which is pretty outstanding. So yeah, so we're going to well, be talking not, about I mean, that. Microsoft paid $10 billion for it. So well, free is subjective, right. but it's free for us. Free for us. Yeah. yeah. The Microsoft shareholders pay for that one. Thank you very much. So yeah, so we're going to be talking about the future of AI and machine learning in advertising today. Kasim, are you ready to just roll that out today and confuse the hell out of people here listening to perpetual traffic? <laughs> I was born ready, Ralph. I'm now an AI guru because all it takes is literally nothing. That's it right. takes literally no credentials or yes. information or training. You have I have zero a course ball. coming out. I'm going to publish a book. Follow mm -hmm. me, everybody. Crypto yep. is next. <laughs> That's it. That's right. Yep. You are now officially a guru. And they say, you know, to be a guru, all you need to know is one chapter ahead of everybody else reading the same damn book. So mm. I think you're a couple of chapters that you're a fast reader, especially based upon all those like books that want to make you look smart that are in the background there. Anyway, let's get into that in just a second. We do have a nugget today. And this is something I'm going to tell you, I've never used it, but my team raves about it. So if you've noticed, if you go over to any of the tier 11 socials these days, and 
we're going to be probably tripling our output because we just hired two more people because we're really getting a lot from this. This is from a paid advertising guy, Cosmo. It pains me to say this, but mm. unpaid social right now is driving so much for our business. And thanks to Dennis, you got to give the guy props. Go yep. back to that episode. We'll leave a link in the show notes. We executed. I know you executed. You executed a little bit before we did. We had to figure out how to do it. But what we're really noticing is the short form video stuff. Not only is it cool and helpful and useful. And I was as skeptical as the next person about YouTube shorts and reels and obviously TikTok and just kind of like, oh, everybody's talking about these like short form videos. But when you're consuming content, it really is helpful. Like you watch a reel mm -hmm. and then it replays, like you hear it the first time and it's 30 seconds. Then you hear it again and then you hear it the third time. By the time you like, you just let it go on your phone or on your desktop, you have now absorbed that information. And now it is a part of who you are. So I am a huge believer in this short form video and we've been pumping these out one or two a day. And some don't get as many views, but we have a couple that are like 300,000 plus views. It's crazy with no paid traffic behind it and everything else. And one of the tools that we use to help this and not to one up you from last week, although I guess <laughs> no, I see where this is going. <laughs> I understand. To, yeah, just, just a little bit more healthy competition here. One of the tools that we do use is CapCut. Now, I've never used it. I've never even done, what's the thing you do? Like it's Microsoft Paint or it's uh, Dreamweaver, like any of those tools. Like I've never used any of those. But I guys rave about this because what it does is it allows you to actually cut your videos to be ultra short, but it adds these cool captions on that short form of content, which even if you know, they do actually press the volume button. It, that's super important, especially with short form video is to have captions, is to have B-roll, is to have quick cuts, make it fast, make it just for the attention, <laughs> attention deprived world here, 15 to 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Like when I do a TikTok custom, they're like, don't do it any more than 60 seconds. We'll cut it down. We'll use CapCut typically to do it. So for people who get stuck, I know the Content Fries one was one that you used last week or the week before. The point is like any of these tools, if it makes your life just a little bit easier to get content out there, and even as a paid advertising company, like we recommend all of our customers do social, get your message out there with helpful, useful content. CapCut is a great tool for us. Yeah, it looks awesome. I'm on the website right now. It looks ultra sophisticated. I wanted to comment on something you just said about organic social because I used to be repelled by it too. You know, and I cut my teeth on paid ads at a time when all you needed were paid ads. If you drove paid traffic to a funnel, you were going to make money. Those are the heydays of Facebook. Now, the way I look at paid ads, it feels like the subscription to the dating service. You pay for the traffic to get in the door. But then the conversations you're having, the dinners you're having, the approach to people, all those things, that's the rest of your presence, mostly your organic social. So paid traffic gets you that first connect. But if you don't invest in that relationship beyond then, I don't think you're going to be very successful. So I'm with you. You used to not need it. I had entire businesses without any social presence whatsoever. Now, if somebody's exposed to you from a paid conduit, the very first thing I do and I think the very first thing everybody does is I go look you up. And I, sure. I, dude, I could give a rat's ass about your website. Your website is what you say about you. Your social, though, now I get to see what you're actually doing, what you really like, what other people saying about you, how they comment. And generally speaking, I don't look at the business. I look at the people. So I wouldn't be looking at Tier 11. I'd be looking at Ralph Burns.
So I think if you're listening to this and you're not super comfortable with the personal brand, that's the balance of risks that you need to approach. And I think it's true for business owners. And I think it's true for entrepreneurs. You might be mid-market somewhere. You're an employee at Ernst & Young or something. I still think you need to have some level of social branding in play and something like CapCut or probably even better content fries. What if we recommend them to use it together? It's funny. I haven't even split test this. I'm just mad that you have one that looks better than mine. It's all right. That's how it rolls. I'm sure you'll come back with something even better next week. Oh, it's a uh, promise now, Ralph. Yeah, now, yeah. yeah this is you, feel, you feel threatened. No, it's so true. And I think if you're in a business where you have a longer sales cycle, we talked about this through the case study we did last week on the personal injury law firm. Like there is a longer sales cycle in most cases. In that case study, we didn't really rely on their social, but we did rely on a mm. lot of top of funnel awareness stuff that was boosted through social that then drove exactly what you're saying. Going back to their Facebook page, check them out, their Instagram page, and obviously doing the Google search for Mike Morse Law Firm, that kind of thing. Or in their case, they're actually brilliant. They have a page. I love these guys. They have a page for Mike Morris Law Firm. And then it says, are you looking for Mike Morse? law firm, that unto itself is a little nugget. I was like, I'm damn impressed with them because I kept saying Mike Morris and some of my teams saying Mike Morris. I'm like, funny you should mention that because I actually have a page because this is a very common mistake. That's actually a nugget number two, Kasim. If nobody knows how to pronounce or say your name, you should probably buy up all the domains or at least have pages or have ads that go to those misspellings or mispronunciations. Yeah, that is a really good nugget. That's sharp. All right. Now you got two. You got to come back with next week. All right. We are going to get into your brilliance on uh, the future of AI and machine learning because you are the world's authority. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) According According to to ChatGPT. (laughs) According to ChatGPT. We should actually enter that in. Is Kasim Aslan the... Yeah. Anyway, we'll figure that out later. All right. So we will be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. See, banter. It was good banter. We did banter. I like that banter. Yeah. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books influence and persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley, and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com 
forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back with the world's authority on AI and machine learning in advertising because he says so. So take us into this whole thing. Why do they get their panties in a twist about this whole thing? I mean, it's, yeah, it's great and everything. Yeah, chat GPT, blah, blah, blah. But what's the real deal, Kasim? The first thing I want to say is if somebody's listening and they don't understand the irony of me pretending I'm an authority, I would understand that maybe if your finger is into the pulse of our market, the number of people that came out 30 days after ChatGPT was available and started staking the claim of expert. It was more than I've ever seen before in a new technology, Ralph. Would you say this? I mean, it was to the tune of 100x. Right. And some of them are people that I know. And I'm like, dude, you do nothing in the space of AI. You don't know. There's just... So here's what I'm saying is I'd love... The very first cautionary tale is don't listen to anybody yet, including me. So what I'd like to do... I'd like to. I'd Just like pause to take this podcast right now. That's right. You're wasting your time. I want to assume the role of perpetual student. So here's what I did. I went to school and decided, like, all right, I'm a little pissy with all these morons pretending that they're AI experts because they know nothing. And I know they know nothing because you have to have an output. You have to have tangible application. Here's how I used it in order to insert re- end result here. And I know one guy like that, by the way. He's in our mastermind. His name's Sunit. He's the, I think he's the highest performing realtor in all of Southern California. And Sunit has this amazing case study on how he's actually used chat GPT and other AI tools on how to make money. And you know what the funniest thing about Sunit? He doesn't want to talk about it. I'm like, dude, the next time we do a mastermind intensive and he's like, nah, I'm not ready. It's not, you know, there's still things to improve upon. Like the only person I know that's actually tangibly made an impact in his business using AI doesn't want to talk about it. All these other jokers, just be really careful as I'm saying. And I'm going to caution everybody against thinking they need to jump on this right out of the gate. You don't need to be first. Yeah. You don't need to be first. Google wasn't the first search engine. Facebook wasn't the first social media tool. Apple didn't create the first anything. They didn't create the first smartphone, the first personal computer, the first smartwatch, the first tablet. As a matter of fact, there's a saying that I love, love, love. I might've learned it on this podcast from one of our guests. Mm-hmm. It's pioneers get slaughtered, settlers prosper. Oh. Who was it that said that, Ralph? Do you remember? I always say pioneers get sh- are the ones that get shot in the back, but I don't have a second yeah. for, for stage of that one. I don't. I like that. That might have been the guy from Go High Level. I don't know. It might have been, yeah, Sean, Sean Clark. Uh, so pioneers get slaughtered, settlers prosper. So it's all right to wait in the wings mm-hmm. and see how AI impacts your industry. Now, if you have a job role, which by the way, I have this job role. Just cards on the table. If you have a role that you think AI is going to replace someday, you should probably be paying a little bit more attention than other people. That said, I don't think anybody needs to be worried about, oh my goodness, I'm going to miss out. This whole FOMO thing, that's going to get you. So I'm sorry for the soapbox, Ralph, but I just wanted to provide the paradigm through which I wanted to view this content because I don't know, they don't know, nobody knows. Now let's dive into what I think, philosophically speaking, AI is and how we might be able to use it in the future. What it will get you is shares, likes, and comments, though. If you come out with an assertive statement on AI or chat GPT, and we've seen this, talk about short form content. Like I haven't done it. Because I don't want to be one of those guys, but we have a guy yeah, on so staff. Twerking. Like, right. The bar's not high for shares like to come. It's not really, but some of our most shared social content is on AI and is on this stuff. I guess there's that, but 
let's get to the meat and potatoes here. Let's get to the real deal of what this is all about. And then everyone can discount everything that you've taught them. Yeah. So the first thing is go play with some AI tools if you haven't, because this is a conversation that's difficult to grasp. If you haven't, go play with ChatGPT. It truly is marvelous. Like it's so much fun. That's what pisses me off about these educators too, is when you look at their education, they're just showing you how to play with it, but not showing you, again, executable. So play with ChatGPT. The other one that I'd encourage you to play with is MidJourney. Have you played with MidJourney? Yeah. Yeah. Patrick Gilbert told us about that. Dude, I think MidJourney is cooler than ChatGPT. Yeah. Like it's this, it's AI image creation and you give MidJourney text prompts. So you can say puppy flying over a rainbow on the back of Sting and it will do that. And it knows exactly what Sting looks like and it gives you different variations of the puppy. And then you can ask for changes, but it does it in seconds. Like if you asked a graphic designer for that, that's a couple of days before you're going to get that back. So <laughs> we have AI a whole team AI channel and it's hysterical. Like all the mid journey, Darth Vader eating some raclette. I guess that's a cheese. I don't know what that is, but they're hysterical. No, pictures. but the AI does. <laughs> but the AI does. Like exactly. Yeah. Mid journey is pretty sick. So go ahead. Mid journey is amazing. Here's the other thing that's really funny. Chat GPT came out 60 days ago. GPT-3 has been around for two years. It's not new. And here's a data point that I think is really worth meditating on. If you play with ChatGPT and you think it's impressive, it's based off of a construct called GPT-3. GPT-3 has 175 billion parameters. So in order to teach the AI how to do what AI does, it's given these individual parameters, which I think are just knowledge nuggets is the way that I explain it to my dummy self. GPT-3 has 175 billion parameters, while GPT-4 is slated to roll out the first quarter of this year mm-hmm. and it has 170 trillion parameters. It's going to be multiples the size. So if you're impressed now, I'd say just wait. It's like the GPT-4 is the size of the sun and GPT-3 is like Mercury or Earth. Like it's like, yeah, it's literally 100 times the size. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I can't imagine it getting even smarter than it really is, but it's on its way. It's crazy. That's the thing that really starts to scare me is the implications here are pretty staggering. If you wanted to get apocalyptic with it, I was kept in check by my buddy, Jason Fladlin. We were on a call together and we were talking about AI and I was just like, man, copy, graphics, governance, targeting, creative, attribution, it's all on the chopping block. And Jason's like, man, the sun's coming up tomorrow. We're going to figure it out. But the issue with, and I agree with Jason in a lot of ways, my issue with him though is while that's true, look at what the assembly line did to artisans. You know what I mean? Like it used to be, if you made mugs, let's say a mug was made by an individual person with clay, one at a time with love, Mm-hmm. And that person could make a living. And then here came, I'm not even talking about mass manufacturing. Here just came a more efficient way for people to work. And now that artisan is no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. And then you take what the assembly line, what happened in the assembly line with manufacturing plants. And so I'm not, I don't think this is the end of the world. I'm not playing chicken little, but what I am saying is there are going to be some industries that are usurped in the exact same way that are just no longer relevant. And you want to make sure that you're not blockbuster looking at the meteor that is Netflix. So depending on what your business is or does, if AI does what your business does, stop getting romantic. Somebody posted this to Twitter. AI will never be able to inject the passion into fiction that a human can inject. You are going to be on unemployment soon, whoever tweeted that. Like the fact that you could think along those lines means that you don't realize where your value can be commoditized. 
Mm. So in a lot of ways, I think what's going to end up happening is people are going to move from managing the process to managing the machine. And that's more or less, I think, that the take-home message of what it is that I'm about to share. The first thing I'd like to do, though, is I want to define what AI is. Because I yep. did a little social experiment with myself and some of my staff, and I would just slack people, and I'd be like, don't think, don't Google it, you tell me what AI is. Mm -hmm. Ralph, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had to explain AI to a kindergartner, what would you say it is? It's just a bunch of data being put together that produces a solution for the inputs that you ask it to produce. It's, it's millions of data points. All it is data. Really, but it's aggregated in such a way so how it actually relates to all the other pieces of data. That's the way that I visualize it. And it's probably a simplistic view. But that was the best answer I've gotten so far, actually, to be honest with you. I got people would respond back and say, smart computer. And I'm like, okay. So we don't have, there's no consensus as far as I'm concerned. I looked at Wikipedia's definition is intelligence, perceiving, synthesizing, and inferring information demonstrated by machines as opposed to intelligence displayed by non-humans, non-human animals and humans. And that means nothing. That's gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. So then I went and I looked at other definitions. And I really like techtarget.com says, artificial intelligence is the simulation of human intelligence processes by machines, especially computer systems. So I like that. The simulation of human intelligence by machines. But even that I don't like. So mm -hmm. I've invented my own bad definition, Ralph. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, yeah the world's this is the height of now. arrogance. Yep, here it is. Yeah. Here's what I think AI is. AI is machine-driven value judgment. Machine-driven value judgment. Because up until this point, we've had all the parameters, we've had all the information, we've had all the data, we've had the matrix, but we have yet to have a machine-driven decision based off of a desired output. And what that requires, my definition requires us that defining the term value judgment. Value judgment is an assessment of something as good or bad in terms of one's standards or priorities. And this is where we learn how to use and control AI in theory. And th th my theory could be shattered as soon as Skynet takes over and Terminator starts killing us all. But in theory, True. the AI doesn't define the standard or priority. You do. Mm -hmm. So this becomes our job. If you're in targeting or attribution or creative or copy or whatever, and you think you're going to do that job in the future, you're probably not. AI probably is. What you're going to do is quality control, which is post. So that's the lag indicator, but the lead indicator is going to be the definition of the standard of priority. So if AI is machine-driven value judgment, and value judgment is the assessment of something is good or bad in terms of one's standard of priorities, now we actually know how to use this tool. And my favorite analogy of all time, I used to use this for Performance Max. I think it's true for all things AI. If I was running a Google ad campaign, I'm driving a Formula One race car. I'm flying down the road at 200 miles an hour. I'm making micro decisions and I'm in control. My hands are on the wheel. Mm -hmm. Now it's interstellar space travel at the speed of light. You don't get to drive that vessel. You mm -hmm. will crash and die. Instead, mm -hmm. the AI drives the vessel and then you tell the, you serve the machine. You make sure that everything's functioning the way that it should function. You tell it where you want to go, any specific parameters around getting there. We need to make this stop first, et cetera. So what, where people are going wrong, and I even see this with some of these idiot educators, they're teaching people to use AI like a human. That's not the way that it works. I like to think of it as a black box. So, so you think you have an entry point and an exit point, and then there's this black box. What happens inside the black box is completely irrelevant. What you want to do is make sure you define your starting parameters, because that's really important too. Here's everything we have to start with. Here's the article I want you to draw from, or the image I need you to use, or the people that I want to be involved. And then it enters the black box, and it gives you the output. And that's more or less the function of the AI is to be the black box. And what we need to do is keep our hands out of the black box because th then you inhibit the ability for the AI to, to do anything that it wants to do. I've seen this with Performance Max for years now.
Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see this in things with ChatGPT and MidJourney. If you watch the way that people manage these processes, if you try to micromanage AI, all you do is just have a faster computer. You don't necessarily have AI yet because you're not giving the computer the opportunity to do the value judgment. I'm going to pause there, Ralph. Did this get way too far afield? We're going far afield here, but I would say yeah. the one thing in your, now that you're the world's guru authority on AI, the thing that I would throw in there is inferred. I get the value judgment because value judgment is in essence what it does, but it's inferred and it's not always right because right. You're, they're taking the inputs from you, the human. So you actually, you, the human have to give it the right inputs in order for it to make that value judgment. But without you, the human, being very specific in your instructions, that value judgment oftentimes can be wrong. Or, so do the- which is the reason why there's multiple iterations of you're using chat GPT, you go back and you revise it and then you pull it out and then you humanize it and then you make it sound like you. And we're using this stuff like every single day now. Why wouldn't we? And, but it doesn't get it right the first time. It usually needs some massaging. And from what we've seen in our experience, especially using it in copywriting headlines, sometimes headlines, just it's amazing on headlines, like for research, tremendous on research, but you still have to put the right inputs in there. Does that make sense? No, dude, it makes perfect sense. It's actually my favorite soapbox. This is what's really interesting. I think, I think people are the most important part of business and always will be. I think people are infinitely important. And I think that AI, I was asked this question at a seminar I did. Somebody said, do you think that AI makes people more or less important? It makes them more important. Here's why. If you have an employee, if you have a bad employee working with normal tools, that bad employee can do one employee's worth of damage. Yep. If you have a bad employee working with these nuclear weapons that we're about to hand them all, <laughs> you have a that bad employee can just do it. infinite amount of damage and same thing with your good employee your good employee right now can do one good employee's worth of output correct but a good employee with ai dude i've seen this with software developers like a mediocre software developer a software developer's worth one point a mediocre developer software developer's worth five points an amazing software developer is worth five thousand points They can scale their output to degrees that are just unmatchable. And that's what's going to happen to your standard human resource once AI becomes second nature to people. That's why in your definition, I think it's important to have some kind of wording about that human element because Mm. AI just magnifies whatever input you put in. If it's a bad input, it's going to make it even, like you said, a million times worse, a thousand times worse. Like we've had, and we use Google Performance Max, we use Facebook's algorithm. We've had in the past, not recently, but we've had bad media buyers or what we thought were great media buyers ended up being just merely good media buyers that made mistakes that cost lots of dollars to us and to customers. Now, thankfully, that is not the case because you know we have all A players at tier 11. The point is like those A players, suddenly all of a sudden, some of those A players are going to look like B players because the A players that really rise. But the point is, is like the smarter the people are, the better they are, the more this is powerful in a good way. And I completely agree with you. I just think your definition just needs a little bit of a tweak, but that's why well, that's what I need it too. That's why I called it Cosm's bad definition. Now it's Cosm's yeah. mediocre definition. And then we're going to continue to iterate. Yeah. That's what's interesting about it though, is the people that are good at doing the job aren't going to be the people that are good at doing the job with AI. I did an evaluation of a campaign yesterday. A client wanted to hire us and I could tell the minute I got in there, whoever was doing their media buying was 
amazing at Google ads three years ago. They had, I don't know what they had, 2,500 products, 20 different categories. Every single product category had its own PMAX campaign. So hyper, hyper segmented. And I'm sitting here looking at it and I'm like, you're not letting the machine learn. You're actually killing the machine's ability to learn where these products will cross pollinate. This person is trying to control the machine and they need to do the opposite. You actually have to be comfortable with the mess that is AI driven anything because AI needs to offer an output and you correct the output. And when you correct the output, it learns. So even the example that you offered with the titles or descriptions inside of ChatGPT, if you ask ChatGPT for something, take it and then massage it yourself, you're not giving the AI the opportunity to learn what it did wrong. But if you ask ChatGPT for something and it comes back and then you said, you know what, make it a little more colloquial. Mm-hmm. Please downgrade this to the reading level of a seventh grader. Please add more. You know what I mean? Now you're telling the machine, hey, this is how we're going to iterate for me. And the machine gets better and better and you continue to sharpen the saw. And mm-hmm. that's the way to continue to engage with AI as though it's almost, and this gets scary, it's almost sentient. You're mm-hmm. teaching this thing because it learns. Chat GPT, and it says this right on the homepage when you log in, it actually, it retains context. So when you're asking it about a topic and then you move on later, you can actually reference topics that you've asked many iterations back. And it has, I don't know what to, what degree yet, where this library gets exhausted, but it learns to, learns you. Yeah. So that needs the human element to be able to massage it, right. to be able to enable it to be sentient. And we're probably going to have to leave definitions for that in the show notes for some of our <laughs> listeners. But the point is, yeah, it comes from the human at the top of the input. Right. And anyway, I think we're... I think we've beaten this one to death. We'll keep going. And I, it's not just ChatGPT, by the way. There's AI-driven copywriting, images, yeah. graphics, videos, animation, audio, optimization, learning, process-driven AI, development, targeting, governance, attribution, reporting. I've got a swipe file of 75 AI tools. It's in a Notion document that a member of my team found. We'll leave that in the show notes. So one of the things that we need to do, Ralph, is we need to make sure that we define the difference between AI and just automation. Because a lot of people are thinking that something that's automated is artificial intelligence, and it's not at all. So Jordan Peterson has a book called Maps of Meaning. And inside of Maps of Meaning, he has this graphic that defines how humans act. It's, it's like a workflow for action. And you start with what is your existing variables, let's say. So what is might be, if you want to travel from Phoenix to Denver, what is, I'm currently in Phoenix. I have enough money for an airline ticket. The airlines have not canceled all flights, et cetera. That's what is. And then you have what should be. I should be in Denver. So now between what is and what should be, we have how we should act. And that's the basic construct for human action. You take what is, you take what should be, and you define how we should act. Makes sense more or less? Yeah, absolutely. So automation is just a person telling a machine how we should act based on what is. But the machine is completely unaware of what should be. That's automation. Mm. No matter what happens. And this is where that old joke comes from, where if you tell a developer to go to the grocery store and get a gallon of milk, and if they have eggs, bring 12, the developer is going to come back with 12 gallons of milk. That's automation. If you define things poorly, regardless of what should be, the computer is going to bring back the output based off of what is and how we should act. Mm -hmm. So automation is, it's dumb computing. AI is the machine determining how we should act based on what should be. So now you tell the machine, hey, I need a gallon of milk and 12 eggs. And now the AI is going to figure out what is and how we should act. And very often you're actually going to participate with the what is and you want to and need to because you don't want the AI to go off and pay $100 per egg for each egg. So there's some safeguards you want to put on this. I I feel like this might seem a little nuanced, but it's not. It may be the most critically important difference for people to understand between AI and automation. Automation does not care what should be. 
AI is focused on what should be based off of what is. And keeping that paradigm in mind allows you to interface with AI-driven mechanisms because instead of changing how we should act, and I think that's the point that I want to make the hardest, when you're playing with AI, true with Performance Max, true with ChatGPT, true with MidJourney, stop trying to change how it acts. That's flawed because you'll never be able to control that on a long-term basis. Stop trying to change how it acts. Instead, continue to give it additional context, either what should be or what is. Because if it's giving you something that you don't want, either the what is was poorly defined or the what should be is poorly defined. But those are your levers. And we're so used to pulling the lever on how we should act that we're going to break ourselves against the AI. Give us an example of this. Performance Max that... is a really good example. So with Performance okay. Max, I'm going to say, hey, I have this collection of products. Yeah, I'm selling blue light blocking glasses and I want to sell them to a bunch of tech nerds. And Google goes out and says, great. And it's trying to sell the blue light blocking glasses to a bunch of tech nerds, but I'm not getting the ROAS that I want. So then I go into Performance Max or I go into Google and I say, you know what? I noticed that I'm spending a lot of money Monday, Wednesday, Friday with no conversions, but Tuesday, Thursdays are all my conversions. So I turn off my ads Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's, that's flawed thinking. That's old school search thinking because the way that Performance Max works or the way AI works, we're talking about 500 touch point engagement, long sales cycles, variables. So what I should do instead is I should go to Performance Max and maybe assign a ROAS goal or maybe take my ROAS goal off because I'm asking the machine to accomplish something that's too hard or maybe broaden my target. Change the what is or change the what should be, but stop trying to change the how it should act. Don't try to change the placement. Don't try to change the time of day that it's delivering. Don't try to influence the machine's technical implementation. Instead, give it a better target or a better starting point and then allow it to get to where it needs to go because then you'll actually have a scalable AI-driven mechanism that can go far beyond whatever a human could do. Mm. So with relation to ChatGPT, for example, which is probably the tool that most folks listening to this show have either toyed around with, played with, how have you seen this in your experience manifest itself is it just a matter of iteration after iter iteration? And you... Yeah, it's in the edits. Mm -hmm. So instead of you going in and doing the edits yourself, so like ChatGPT pumps out something that you don't necessarily like, you go through, make the modification. Sometimes that's absolutely necessary. There's no way around it. Don't get me wrong. But if you wanted to be a lazy AI parent, let's say, mm -hmm. you go in, you make the corrections, and then you plug it back into ChatGPT for the next iteration. And it might take 10 minutes to do that where it takes an hour to teach ChatGPT what it is that you actually want. And the philosophical view that I'm holding, and I don't know enough about ChatGPT's technical capabilities to tell you that the learning that we're instilling in ChatGPT is going to be robust enough to justify this. I'm taking more of a philosophical stance and saying long-term with AI, you can't iterate without the AI without putting it at a disadvantage. You want the iteration to happen within the umbrella that is the AI. Right. Because now the AI starts to learn, oh, Ralph really doesn't like conjunctions. Mm -hmm. Ralph really doesn't, he punctuates this way, or we're looking, or this avatar is really interested in flowery language or whatever it ends up being. And so when we're modifying AI, we want to make sure we're modifying the variables, the inputs, instead of just going in and changing the nuts and bolts, because then we're never equipping it to, to level up, which that's the scariest part about this damn thing, man, is it will keep learning you and keep learning you and keep learning you. And the more it does that, the more effective it gets. And so you'll have to spend time. If it takes 10 minutes to do this task yourself or an hour to teach the AI, spend the hour to do it. Because over time, it pays off dividends. And you've seen the, the multiplication table for compound interest. That's what I think AI sure. is going to yield ultimately. It's interesting because we have a shared chat GPT account. This is where it goes off the rails a little bit in my mind is that 
after the third or fourth iteration of me putting the inputs in to take away the conjunctions or make it sound more Joe Rogan or whatever it happens to be. My point is that it's learning from me, but it's also learning because we all use the same login mm. as a sort of an agency. You can see like how it all works. Same thing with Descript or like any of these other tools. Midjourney is the same way. I'm wondering maybe we might not be using it in the right way because it's like individual, but we're also trying to do it individually for a hundred different clients potentially where we're, it's assisting us in copy or list building or tasks that need to be done through an internal process or an Asana or whatever it happens to be. So it's learning from lots of different people as opposed to just me. That's where I go like the fifth or sixth iteration. I'm like, yeah, that's good enough. And then I'll just rewrite it. And because I know it's not necessarily learning from me, it's learning from everyone in all kinds of different jobs. Are we wrong in having a single login to this thing? Are we screwing up the AI? No, I don't think you're wrong. I think right now it's a one-dimensional process. Mm -hmm. But as this gets three-dimensional, the implications are very clear. The AI isn't just learning what you're asking it to do. The AI is learning you. Mm -hmm. And so I think on a long enough timeline, people need to be prepared with the understanding that they are also one of the variables. Like what you ask it to do, and let's say that there's two client managers working on the exact same client. They're both going to approach it from different ways. And so I, I think that variable is, is worthy of note. And I think as we engage with AI, that the input-output understanding, the, and you made this point, I think, really eloquently, way better than I did, it's the human that's the biggest variable. That's why mm. you wanted to change my definition. Mm -hmm. And so to have the same human working across, you know, or the same login working across all people, like mm -hmm. you're taking your most important variable and you're flattening it. Yeah. So I don't think ChatGPT right now is positioned in a way that really makes this massively impactful right now today. Mm -hmm. But if we're gonna talk about building the right skill set to scale into tools like this, I think it's an important conversation. Yeah. I love in another tool that we love, and we've talked about this many times, is Descript or Descript, a Descript. Yeah, but it always asks like, amazing. if it's using a video, if like if we're uploading a video, it always asks who the speaker is. And like after a while, like it knows my little things to get rid of, the ahs, ums, and then you knows. Yeah, you know, it knows like, where you slur your words, it knows where you enunciate. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's gotten yeah. better and better as we use it, as they know the speaker. So we're doing this, it's a great editing tool, but it's AI again, I love that. I wonder if that, and ChatGPT is maybe something that we should probably start installing. So it knows the individual user. At the end of the day, we still do it manually in most cases, but it's, it's great for the blank page syndrome where you're like, right, what, how do I write this? Or I know something or I haven't done my research yet or whatever it happens to be. It's like starting the task has been very helpful. Anyway, we're getting off the AI conversation a bit here, but yeah, there's always going to be that, that human element to a degree. We'll have to see what that really means. That's what everybody's concerned about, I think. Is, Dude, I would be. So, I mean, this is the type of thing that if you really think about it, if this gets strong enough, we're just looking at universal basic income. Like you're going to be in a position where people don't have the ability to contribute in a substantive way. It's crazy to think about the implications. That's why it's worth paying attention to. I've got some practical principles for managing AI. Okay, I know I went super philosophical. I'm so sorry if that annoyed the listeners. We're going to get principle-centered now. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll leave all the links in the show notes here for that uh, resource. It's pretty extensive swipe file. There's stuff in here I had never even heard of. But yeah, we'll leave that. Links in the show notes over to perpetualtraffic.com. As always, make sure that uh, you let us know what we can do better. There's perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. We do check that every week. Got some feedback from that, which I believe we're already starting to implement. 
on the show here, maybe not on this episode, but make sure that you subscribe and leave a rating wherever you are listening. And follow us, follow Qasim, follow Qasim over at Twitter, at Qasim Aslam. Follow me over at LinkedIn. I will say this, <laughs> dirty little secret. Some of my tweets are chat GPT generated. I'm just saying. Oh my God. Some of the people liking your tweets are also chat GPT. <laughs> That's right. That's probably true. All right. So go back and listen to previous episodes. Like I said, we'll leave all the links in the show notes and resources over at perpetualtraffic.com. On behalf of the World Authority Guru on AI and Machine Learning, Qasem Aslam. Peace. Till next show. See ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 